0: Hello, welcome to Mediation Station. This is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and also look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at either of greggf.primus.ca or at 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us, or Facebook group page for Mediation Station to ask to become a member. You can also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA and Fenton Mediation. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by going to SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. And what I also just found out is Google Podcasts. And a Google Podcast is really uh, a free app through Google Play. Just click it, type in Mediation Station, and you're going to get up uh, some of our past shows. You can also follow us at our Twitter account, at Phantom Mediation, for Mediation Station. So our topic tonight is called The Four Horsemen of Divorce, Really? With Kimia Sajiji, and Kimia will chastise me if I said her last name wrong. That's okay, we're friendly. And she'll be with me shortly. So this is the first show that is coming to you through Zoom. As we are usually on live each Sunday night on radio station CHHA, 1610 AM, 8 to 9 PM. So due to the current COVID-19 emergency measures, the radio station must adhere to provide that there are no live or in-person programming done. With this in mind, and with a suggestion from my navigator in the background somewhere, Laura Tarsia, she is helping me to facilitate this process, a transition. And the idea is to do this for the times that we cannot be physically on-site to do the live programming at the station. Because for the last two weeks, I haven't been able to do it, and I've had to cancel the shows i've had to cancel the, the guests and it takes a lot of effort that i take the time to put together each of the shows i usually schedule them a few months in advance so i want to make sure that i'm trying to maximize this opportunity i just also want to let you know that laura will be with me as uh, the co-host next week she is with me each of the first sundays of the month to co-host on a provocative topic which I'm sure we'll come up with for next week. Uh, Also note the mediation station will celebrate its 16th anniversary the following Sunday on February 14th. Anybody know what day that might be? Valentine's Day, just putting it out there. In case any lovers or people in the mood for a relationship building or bonding wanted to know. So for tonight, I wanna explain The process is that Kimmy and I will engage in a conversation on our topic, the four horsemen of divorce, really. Anyone attending will be able to listen and watch the conversation. Their microphones and webcams will be closed. If anyone wants to contribute anything, there are two options. One is to see the chat icon as a bubble, I believe at the bottom center of your screen for you to click to then type in a comment or question and click to send. I will see it to present out loud for Kimmy and I to share and explore and discuss together or you can click on the hand icon that is also on the bottom center area and I'll note that or it'll be noted and your microphone will be opened for you to orally express your comment though your your video will remain closed and then We'll go from there. So just wanna give those logistical dynamics. The show is also being recorded for both video and audio purposes that will be uploaded for future access both on SoundCloud for sure for audio and also YouTube and the link and it'll be posted on Facebook and then through LinkedIn and then Twittered out. So this is our first event doing tonight and I look forward to it with Kimia and you've been waiting and patient. Uh, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well. I'm excited. i a bit nervous but excited that we actually get to do it.
0: Well you were with me last November yeah. to do something. I mean we were in person and we didn't have a visual. I mean we you and I had a visual because we had to see each other. This is the first time doing it this format.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you
0: feel about doing it this way?
1: I prefer it. I mean, as long as I get feedback, I'm down because I really thrive off like feedback and knowing that I'm on the right route. (laughs) So (laughs) it helps me.
0: (laughs) So why did you have anxiety about being in this format? Can we unpack that a little bit?
1: I think it's just, you know, being like immortalized on film, you know?
0: Well, that could be uh, a good thing too. I mean,
1: emotions that well. At least on the radio, I could
0: hide when I was nervous or flustered. Yeah, that's true. And here, you know, I've said this, and I said it today to Laura through, uh, what was it, LinkedIn. I have a face for radio. So I'm really happy about being out here in public like this face. And so we can't hear the reactions from the crowd, the listeners. Too bad. Thank God. (laughs) <laughs> so how about, how about a little information update about yourself, especially from the last time you were here?
1: Um, okay, like do you want me to go into my background or just...
0: Well, not the life story, just okay. summarize it. Uh, you know, a uh, context of what you do professionally and um, how we met.
1: Okay, so I have an honors bachelor of science from U of T in psychology and film. I also have an advanced counseling certificate from George Brown and currently uh, finishing my social service worker degree at George Brown. Um, We met at the York University Family Mediation Certificate, which I completed this past summer. And right now I am working. I am also doing my placement and I'm finishing up school.
0: Multitasking. So with regard to doing a social service worker, plus the family mediation, what is your future goals with that?
1: i hope to get into family counseling and um, marriage counseling
0: yeah and i know from uh, our interaction in the first show Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you're into theories Yes. tonight we're gonna unpack another theory the four horses of divorce theory Mm -hmm. Um, as we go through this what have you noticed about yourself that uh, has provided for the most affect on your life over the past number of months you know, with COVID going on?
1: I guess my ability to try to stay as positive as possible, even though that can be really difficult at times. So I just try to look at the glass half full and try to seek out any positivity, even in a negative experience.
0: So break that down a little bit more. How do you try to do that?
1: I don't know if something's happening, I'll take a moment, I'll process it. I won't let it affect me beyond the, the, the day that it's happening maybe. And I'll just try to move on and just take things one day at a time. I'm really trying not to catastrophize as much.
0: <laughs> as much. I mean, we're all human beings, though. We're we're all vulnerable in some way. And That's we're all at risk. <laughs> sorry?
1: That's why I didn't say never. Just not as much. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I'm not saying that you don't. And, and for sure not. I just say, you know, when we experience those tensions with our, our, li- our daily lives, our routines, and, you know, over the last almost 11 months we've struggled from the sense of normalcy that we had to what we are experiencing now
1: yeah i definitely think i created a new normalcy i created a new routine i don't i'm not i'm trying not to live in the past and be like i used to do things like that it's every day is a new thing so what's today going to look like
0: yeah so it's like opening a new door fresh Mm -hmm. in some way though you also have some context of your past lived experiences Mm because that's sort of the lens you're looking through things in the current moment to -hmm. then say, okay, how do I make sense of this current moment? Like we're doing in this, in the process of doing the radio program Mm -hmm. this way.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's all about adaptability. I think that's our greatest feature as human beings.
0: yep, that's the one I really push and plug, adaptability. You know, being connected to our moments and then how we respond or we react to those moments whether they go down a negative path or a positive path, a more hopeful path. How do we take our negative experiences and try to reframe them into some hopefulness or some positivity? It takes effort, it takes time, for sure. So our earlier conversation, as I alluded to in November, was really about attraction, proposals and attachment theory of how people connect to marriage, through marriage. So today we're, we're gonna focus on the marital relationship transition to divorce. Why are you so interested in marriage and divorce?
1: Well, I think I'm just really interested in communication and building bonds and the most intimate kind of bond we can form as humans is one with a partner. And you know, divorce rates are so high, it's kind of sad that people meet someone they're so compatible with but then lack the skills to actually continue the relationship and then end up divorcing or breaking up for a lack of knowledge or a lack of a way of knowing. So I think that's why I'm interested in it. I just want everyone to love and be loved and stay together.
0: <laughs> oh, Kumbaya. Yeah. You, you changed your catchphrase to Kimia Kumbaya.
1: Think about it. I think.
0: Yeah, so. sure. So what's your perspective regarding relationships just in general?
1: I think relationships are hard work. They're not something that you can just kind of passively exist in and then be surprised when it doesn't work out. You know, there is an initial attraction, but then it does take work to make it happen. Life happens. Difficult life events happen. And if you can't work together and communicate together and be a team to tackle these things, then, you know, it's not a surprise that most of them end up in divorce. (laughs)
0: Well, the, you know, I, I would sense that when people first connect, when they're attracted to somebody and they sense that, hey, there's something more that they want to possibly establish, they want to create a union of some form, a partnership, a relationship, an ongoing one, and then it forges into a an intimate one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, people are thinking, I believe, in a hopeful way, positive way, and that the best and Generally, I don't think people may think negative about the potential risks of the relationship.
1: Well, I think people forget that conflict is a very healthy part of the relationship. Conflict is bound to happen when needs clash, right? And any relationship needs are gonna clash. And so when you start off a relationship, you're so attracted to this person, they're so new, you're doing this rapid self-expansion, and then you know the honeymoon phase is over, and now what? Then maybe you have a conflict and you're like okay well clearly we're not meant to be because we shouldn't be fighting happy couples don't fight but in reality everyone fights it's just the way in which you are fighting the methods that you choose to have that conflict engagement that's what matters
0: yeah, yeah you, you mentioned about conflict and many times people traditionally see conflict as a negative thing mm-hmm. through a negative lens when i throw out the word at a training or a workshop or some form. And I say, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word conflict? Usually it's negative yeah. information. It's a fight. It's a struggle. It's a war. It's a battle. It's disagreement. So the idea is that I believe you're presenting too and that I really promote is that conflict is an opportunity. Right. It doesn't need to go down a negative pathway. It's how we intersect and process that moment. Yeah, go right. ahead.
1: So it's a moment for you to realize like, okay, this I didn't know this about the person. You know, I, I didn't know that being on time was so important to them. Or I didn't know doing these things is, is important to them. Now you, know, now you have a moment to figure out these, these, it is an opportunity. It's just an opportunity to get to know each other better if done properly.
0: Well, if done properly, the thing is, how many people are able or feel they have the capacity to better able themselves to deal with those struggles that they go through with someone. You know, immediately when they have these differences, it tends Mm -hmm. to go down the negative pathway and then it becomes problematic and it becomes adversarial Mm -hmm. and it it gets a little bit aggressive.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, communication is a skill, but it's one that we don't learn, like actively learn. There's no class in high school communication (laughs) one-on-one. It's something it's like passively that we absorb and sometimes we absorb negative patterns of communication not realizing that they're detrimental to the relationship then we go on because of a lack of knowledge or a lack of exposure go on to continue these patterns to our children and on and on and on and then we're always confused as to what went wrong <laughs> you know why didn't this one work out
0: how much does fear from your perspective contribute To How people intersect with their lived experiences, their moments, and thus going down the possibility of a negative pathway?
1: A huge part. I think the ability to be vulnerable comes with a lot of fear, right? To properly connect with someone, you need to be vulnerable. You need to be okay with maybe you know, nothing's not going your way or being hurt or exposing some part of yourself and then being embarrassed about it, right? So most people don't want to experience that and then they won't engage in those kind of communication patterns that require a certain level of vulnerability.
0: It's like uh, opposites at the same time. I, I think they have to feel safe to feel unsafe because vulnerability is a risk. Right. It's the unknown quantum. And people generally struggle to get out of where they're really at currently. Maybe they don't like it. It's a negative experience. Yet, at least for them, they know what they're going through. If they try to transition out to, quote, hopefully a better place, they don't know what they're going to experience and expose themselves to. That's the vulnerable area. That's the risk exposing themselves so I think a lot from my experience people tend to remain within their negative conflicts because of the factor of how much the fear becomes the barrier for them to to extend themselves into the pathway of opportunity
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I agree
0: so let's talk a bit about the Gottman Institute what is the Gottman Institute
1: So the Gottman Institute is basically um, the leading center for research regarding relationship psychology. It was created by John and doctors, excuse me, doctors, John and uh, Julie Gottman. And it's a culmination of their 40 plus years as clinical psychologists and researchers. They are experts in marital uh, satisfaction and longevity. (laughs) So
0: so there there are a couple that's, You know connected and sustained and maintain that relationship right
1: yeah so what their mission is that they aim to improve the functioning of relationships and the avoidance of behaviors shown to harm relationships by discovering reliable patterns in observational data
0: so with that what's your connection then with so much theory why do you like theory
1: i like science i'm a science person i don't like i need i need some data (laughs)
0: data I'm, I'm a total I, I'm the opposite in some way I'm really an applied person I'm the practical I minimize the the theoretical concepts even though I know they have a place within our lives they give some context some information I just really gravitate towards the applied stuff
1: for sure but I think for me it's like I'm not going to apply something that isn't based on science
0: that well aren't we having a very um, challenging conversation anyways with COVID-19 and the people who say let's defer to science for sure Mm -hmm. and the people said forget it I want my rights I want to be able to do what I want to do regardless of what the impact and consequence it is for myself let alone them feeling that you know their behavior has consequences on another
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a whole different level (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah we'll talk about that another time so in terms of the Mm governments the Institute um,
1: it's a great place if you're looking if you are in the field they do um, professional training I really recommend checking out their website they also have a newsletter that you can subscribe to it's for free you get like a weekly blog post just general information about what they're studying and anything new that they've discovered and that kind of stuff and they have webinars it's a really like very rich place for resources
0: you should let them know you're doing a show that's a basis for one of their you know their major theories
1: no, no free promos am i right
0: <laughs> no we don't do plugs here for unless it's not for profit or charitable stuff just you know the nature of uh, well the radio though tonight's not the radio but It's an extension of the radio just trying to maintain consistency with what the format is on sunday nights at the station to tonight modifying it somewhat Mm -hmm. so what's the theoretical thinking regarding marriage and divorce is there something that you can say about that
1: for sure so i mean obviously their research has spanned 40 years so this is just going to be a very quick summary of what they're kind of thinking They think that conflict is inevitable. It is bound to happen. And the question is, does the way in which we communicate and interact and respond to that conflict predict divorce? So according to the Gottmans, it does. Um, They were first able to prove that over time, couples demonstrate stable patterns of interactions and communications. And um, through longitudinal studies with like over thousands of couples, they were able to show that um, repeated patterns and interactions were able to distinguish happy from unhappy couples
0: how much of their own sense of their own selves influences their own how they process the information they you know they gather up
1: well it's observational data but then it gets very like technical they have physio um psycho-physiological measures that they take too so It's a combination of like hard facts and soft facts. And then they came up with this whole like, um, this whole program, like a bunch of math is involved. And it basically broke down the patterns into some math or whatever. And then they're able to like use that program to make these predictions.
0: So when you mentioned about the physiological, Mm -hmm. You know, that's putting, what, the the sensors or something on a person
1: to measure
0: a response or reaction?
1: Yeah, so they'll measure, uh, they'll use electrodes, and they'll measure your heart rate, uh, the amount of sweat produced, and a blood flow.
0: Right, so they obviously have some kind of pre-measured, you know, according to whatever they get as a reaction or response on the graph of some form?
1: Yeah, so back when this started in the 70s, they created what was called like a love lab and they had thousands of newlyweds come in, they hooked them up to these electrodes and they had another machine called like a talk device or something that would basically have them gauge their level of response. So how like uncomfortable they felt by that message or what, how, how they meant the intended the message to be sent. And so a combination of all three of those factors, like going in, they had no predictions they made like they were just collecting data and then after checking in with these couples six years 10 years 14 years down the line they were able to notice these patterns that started to exist and so um, over time they expanded on their research and they did six different things that predict with 90 percent accuracy whether a couple would divorce so those six things would be a harsh startup a flooding body language, failed reconciliation attempts, bad memories, and our topic for today, the four horsemen.
0: All right. And so just before we go into that, in addition to the uh, physiological responses, there were some anecdotal like questions they would ask and get some response information?
1: Yeah, just to gauge their like psychological level of um, stress.
0: Right. Okay. So what what is or what are the Four Horsemen of Divorce? So What's the, that all about?
1: So the Four Horsemen of Divorce are four negative patterns of communication that repeated without intervention will cause irreconcilable harm to the relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. So why? where'd they get the word horsemen from? Where, where's that from?
1: I think it's from the Bible in reference to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse.
0: Okay, <laughs> using the word apocalypse, apoc, and it's easy for me to say. <laughs> using that that connotation or that frame of reference, it sounds like it's, you know, going down a negative path.
1: Well, yeah, they, they how do they describe it? They say when these clip clop into your life, uh, you know that like doom is new soon nearby or something like that.
0: <laughs> okay, all right, so. You know, what is the purpose? What, what is it gonna serve us? Getting the, the information, the data.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How will it contribute in any way to anything?
1: Well, I think knowing that these are, these patterns do result in this kind of outcome and being able to first be knowledgeable as to what these patterns are, allows us to identify them so we can eliminate it and replace it with healthy, productive communication patterns.
0: So the idea is that we have to, in order to create something as an ideal positive, we have to know what the current conditions are.
1: Well, yeah, in order to change something, you have to be aware that it's a problem.
0: And and what it consists of and then say, okay, if we're not satisfied with it, Mm -hmm. what are the things that we could do to try to make it quote better? Right. to connect with the ideal construct that we want to
1: mm-hmm.
0: see happen. And right. that's about the marriage.
1: Right. Like and
0: I, the, the relationship. Yeah. Right. So there are four predictors mm-hmm. as defined by the horse, the four horsemen of divorce. Share what these are. And then afterward, we can take each one of them, one at a time and unpack them and explore them. Problem. Problem.
1: Mm -hmm. okay for sure so the four are and they appear in this order in the relationship will be criticism contempt defensiveness and stonewalling
0: so when you say they're so they're predictable predictors and they follow a a certain pathway
1: yes (laughs) it's a
0: sequence it's a sequence of prediction yes with these predictors yes so one can't happen without the other one first like you, you mentioned
1: like, there's
0: cons- criticism contempt yep. defensiveness and stonewalling there's right. no way you can go from criticism to defensiveness without experiencing contempt
1: this we'll get into this later but defensiveness is actually the response to criticism but you you won't get contempt without first being highly critical
0: okay so so talk about criticism what is that what is that all about
1: Okay, so I was talking about this with a friend recently, and they were like, everyone has criticism in a relationship. And they said, no, everyone has complaints, right? So that's a very, very important distinguish to make here. There's a difference between a criticism and a complaint. A complaint is about your need not being met. Your partner's behavior is doing something that is not meeting your needs. A criticism is an attack on your partner's character and of who they are as a person. It's an attack on their character and their personality. So you're basically putting them down for any mistake that they do, and a complaint is a need, right? So a complaint you would use an I feel statement. So I have an example.
0: Can you give an example? What yeah, you?
1: So for ex- for example, you're so lazy, you never do the dishes. That's a criticism. You're attacking who they are as a person. They're lazy, right? Uh-huh. A complaint is. I feel frustrated when you don't help out around the house, right? So this is how their behavior is impacting you. This is how about your emotions, your feelings, rather than who they are as a person. Now you can properly talk about the behavior without blaming them for who they might be as an individual.
0: So the the criticism is more judgmental. It's more about marginalizing the other person.
1: Yes. It's more about attacking who they are as a person versus what they're doing.
0: Okay. And you know, we, if you might, I don't know if you took this, but getting to yes, one of the books by, from Harvard negotiation, Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: by Bush and not Bush and folder. It's by um, Uri and Fisher. And it's about separating the person from the problem and trying to see things from a, don't personalize. When we have differences with people, don't personalize. It's not about the person. It's about their behavior.
1: That's actually what narrative therapy does as well. The problem is the problem. The person is not the problem. So you can't talk about a problem if you can't separate it from the person because the person will get defensive, <laughs> which is our third horseman.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they'll feel threatened, etc. Yeah. So it's good for people to understand the distinction because sometimes we use two words Mm
1: -hmm. and we
0: interchange them and we don't realize there's actually distinction and then people identify quote the other word the complaint along the same lines as criticism and it tends to if you're trying to be constructive with your statements so you know the complaint is more that I hear is more inclusive and considerate of you know what can we do
1: Yeah, with the complaint, it's like us as a team against this issue, right? With the criticism, it's me versus you. Yeah. Right, and there's no no change that's going to come from that because the person is going to be like, what do you mean, me? I'm fine. I'm great. Fabulous.
0: (laughs) Isn't it, though, something that we learn to be with critical thinking that we have to deconstruct our lived experiences in some way and reflect and try and make sense of them? So that's using the word criticism
1: criticism in there some way yes but i think in a like when you're talking about it with in regards to people people have emotions they react to things right so you want to what they call is like the soft startup the i feel statement is a soft startup to talk about an issue without having the person immediately shut down and get defensive because right like what you're doing with i feel emotion like behavior you're separating the person the problem is not the person the problem is the problem
0: which traditionally a lot of times when people are going through negative um conflict experiences Mm -hmm. they tend to use you did this you Mm -hmm. did that it's about the other person though in a negative context Mm -hmm. so when it's framed from an "I," Mm i feel this 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 is what i'm experiencing Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: not an attack or perceived as an attack right or a threat right So how would you define predictors anyways? There's four predictors, what what does that mean?
1: A predictor is something that allows you to accurately forecast an outcome based on the patterns observed.
0: How aware are people of their realities when they engage and interact with people? I mean, we're, we're talking about this to help break it down conceptually from a theoretical way so that people can appreciate it from, you know, practical manner when they're going through their lived experiences in a relationship an intimate one, especially with someone else.
1: It's hard because it's hard for people to be honest with themselves. I find. So even if you are listening to the show right now and you're hearing about this and you're like, Oh, that kind of resonates with me. No, one's going to be like, yes, I do that. I, I need to work on that. Right. Because it's hard for people to realize where they've been wrong and especially when you're in a moment of conflict and you're having this, the discussions, you're so caught up in the moment, it's hard for you to be like, okay, what am I doing here? How is this functioning? What is the impact, right? So that's why marriage counseling exists. <laughs> if everyone could do it on their own, the divorce rates wouldn't be so high.
0: Well, how, how, um, how much do people actually acknowledge their own, their own contributions to their lived experiences? Don't we have tendencies to really project Onto others.
1: Well, yeah. It's your fault. Our ego prevents us from taking responsibility, I find. You know, people in a conflict can't be wrong because they see it as a way of like giving up their power. You know, maybe giving their power to the other person if, if they apologize or if they come short or whatever it may be. So it, it's hard. People have egos, people have things to defend. You know, they don't want to be wrong. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily you want to feel right. It's just that they don't identify that there's self-awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. Self-awareness,
0: starting with self and then transcending to extend to another. Yeah, what were you going to say?
1: It's hard to be self-aware. It takes practice. It takes feedback, accurate feedback from people that you love to tell you that what you may be in observing or interpreting, it is what they are also observing and interpreting, so... It's a hard process. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs>
0: Especially when our, um, our primary decision-making system, our authority, our justice system, is based on an adversarial positional mindset of approach of dealing with difference. Yeah. It's, it, you know, when someone's been identified, whether it's family court or criminal court, or even civil court, somebody's perceived as right and someone's perceived as wrong. Right. And then they go through this fight and struggle within a system that reinforces that struggle mm-hmm. and continues to build upon the differences in a negative light mm-hmm. that keeps division and never really dr- seeks to draw as an intention, people to connect and learn of and from each other.
1: Yeah, I agree. When there's winners and losers, no one, there's no growth that can really happen, right? Cause no one's going to have the vulnerability to just kind of pause and say, okay, where did we go from this? What can we learn from this? What can we improve on in the future? It's just gonna be like, I won. I was right. And, then yeah, but,
0: and and the you know the reality is with the court system, and the justice system, no matter what, if you get quote the decision in your favor, mm-hmm. there are cost factors with regard to getting that, and you never really get the full benefit of what you're seeking, mm-hmm. and and then by extension there are factors that afterwards have marginalized the relationship that you have with someone else there's been costs financially and there's also costs internally individuals go through a lot of stress to go through a system like that
1: yeah. and
0: that's why i you know i try to use the the program itself and Laura who's we have this whole passion that instead of going with you know, our differences, especially in family intimate relationships through the court system as the de facto and the default, mm-hmm. that we look to see, to try to address these as much as possible with relationships out in the community, where people retain the ownership mm-hmm. and the power of the de- ability to decide for themselves. Right. And then under those ex- their situations that are unique, it needs to go through a system where it's not safe for people with intimate partner violence and domestic violence and and other forms of violence coercive control that may be best to go through a system that works that way Mm -hmm. so you know uh, what's what's the basis for all of these predictors in terms of the relationship that's connected with conflict and communication
1: what do you mean by that so
0: the predictors are are formed identity you know they're construct there's something that's been defined and they have these the four horsemen as you mentioned
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, you did allude earlier to the constructs of and the concepts of communication
1: mm-hmm.
0: and conflict
1: right
0: so how how does the predictors work with to let's just say reorganize the conflict in the relationship
1: Well, the predictors are there. So if you're constantly engaging or using one of the uh, four horsemen every time you have a conflict interaction, then it would be a good indication to maybe take a look at your relationship and ask yourself why you are using these forms of these patterns of communication and then actively try to not use them and replace them with healthier patterns.
0: Well, you know, my concern with theory mm-hmm. is that it's a construct that's done under controlled conditions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the researchers or whomever have created conditions that they're trying to get, uh, do a process to acquire data, information that they can then use for another purpose as part of their overall goal or objective. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reality of lived experiences is that they're not done under controlled conditions. They're done in the moment, spontaneously, unpredictable. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How can we take a a form of trying to measure a relationship as predictors with unpredictable people and relationships?
1: Well, because the researchers prove that over time, the patterns of communication between a couple are stable. Right. So regardless of the context or how unique the couple might be, the way in which they communicate with each other, even uh, couples that they followed up with six years down the line, were still using the same patterns. Right. So back in the 70s, when people when psychology really started taking a hold of, you know, popular culture, they the researchers were finding it very difficult to identify personality traits, right, like stable patterns within an individual person. So that's why they were like, okay, let's not even think about doing couples because that's just double the amount of unpredictability, right? But no, they were able to show that regardless of your situation, regardless of the context, it is a stable pattern that they can observe within couples. And so, you know, the control, whatever is happening in a relation, like in the control environment, is applicable to a non-controlled real-life environment because of that stable theory that the patterns remain the same.
0: So there's one constant within Mm -hmm. that's really the the foundation that then the theory can attach itself to try and make sense of the experience of those people or the individual Mm -hmm. in some way. Okay. So we talked the first was criticism with the predictor. So the next is contempt. What's that all about?
1: So when criticism escalates, it leads to contempt. So contempt is known as the kiss of death. It is the single greatest predictor of divorce. Um, So criticism is thinking your partner is worthless and contempt is showing them. So it'll be eye rolling, um, name calling. It's all designed to make your partner feel worthless and undeserving of you because you are in a position of superiority over them. Right? So simply put, contempt contempt is, I'm better than you. You don't deserve me.
0: So, you know, as we talk about communication, communication is comprised of the verbal, the Mm -hmm. oral, the spoken word, and majority, a lot, the unspoken word, the nonverbal communication. So you mentioned about the rolling of the eyes. Mm -hmm. How many people are really connected to the nonverbal cues that someone else is communicating to them?
1: A lot, I think, yeah. It's in body language, it's in tone, it's in everything. For example, I have one, it's, um, why are you always late? Are you too stupid to tell time? Even a child can tell time, right? That's very, very, very clear contempt. (laughs) You're calling your partner an idiot. You are telling them that um, a child can do it, so why can't they? And instead, they could just say, it really hurts me when you're late. Can you do a better job of just letting me know that, you know, maybe you're getting caught up at work
0: or, you know, with the self-awareness, the thing, the empathy is to say, okay, uh, you know, this is what's happening for me in terms of when, uh, certain things don't happen according to a timeline. Yeah. And I know you've, uh, this has been ex- something you've experienced. What can I do with you to help support you to try to make this a better thing?
1: Yeah, for sure. They actually say part of the anti antidote for, contempt is to be self-reflective, to ask yourself how you can improve yourself and what can you provide to your partner to make sure that the behavior doesn't repeat.
0: Yeah, it's about, you know, that's the self-awareness. It starts with being informed and aware of oneself Mm -hmm. to then be informed and aware in some extent of another and Mm -hmm. then trying to create a connection, build a bridge and then extend that to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. And we go from the, you know, this, let's just say the pity and then we go to sympathy we go to empathy and then the full extent is the compassion mm-hmm. where we actually want to do something with the other person for them to help contribute to make it better for them also at the same time for us
1: right to make it better for the relationship right to that's help right us as the partnership right
0: right yeah so uh, the the next one is defensiveness
1: Right. That's the third one. Yeah. Yeah. So defensiveness is the response to criticism. So it's repeatedly making excuses and not taking responsibility for your part. So, you know, why are you late? Well, you know, I'm busy. You know, I work late on Mondays, like get off my back, (laughs) you know, like why are you always bothering me? Like I'm trying my best. Right. So that person by not taking responsibility for the way in which their actions have impacted their partner is basically signaling to their partner that you're not listening to their concern, you've tuned them out, and now you're shifting the blame, right? Like, instead of just taking responsibility, you're saying, no, it's your fault. Why why didn't you do this instead? Like, how did you expect me to do it? Like, if you knew it, you should have just done it yourself, right? So with defensiveness, your priority is to protect your ego. And once again, like, you can't really have ego when you're trying to have vulnerable, deep, bonding conversations in a partnership so when you feel like you're being accused by your partner you fish for excuses to get them to back off right so you're saying in effect like the problem isn't me it's you and then that makes them feel like upset because you're not listening to what they're saying to you and then that causes further strife and divide so i have an example here uh for example were you able to make reservations for dinner so a defensive response would be, I was too busy to do it today. You know how busy I am. Why don't you just do it yourself? Instead, they could have just said, no, I forgot. I'm sorry. I should have asked you to do it earlier because I knew my day was so busy. Let me do it now. Mm-hmm. The right?
0: acknowledgement of one's, you know, the contribution that one does with situations. Right. Though th- there's a fear of doing that or an insecurity or whatever that, okay, if I'm confronted or if I take it as a, a challenge and I look at it through a negative lens, I'm going to feel threatened from that. I'm going to get defensive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And The best way to do deal with that from that kind of mindset is to attack back.
1: Mm, shift the blame. Right. Not my problem. It's your problem. Like, yeah. I'm break- what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to take ownership for your problems. That's right. your problem.
1: So the antidote for defensiveness is taking responsibility, hear your partner out, validate their concern, be self-reflective. Ask yourself, what where can I take responsibility here? What could I have done better?
0: Yeah. That that that's a powerful thing and I think uh, when people can get to that connection of self, that mm-hmm. reflection, you know, being mindful and aware, what's happened here? To also question what hasn't happened here and okay, and look through a non judgmental lens to say, I'm not gonna blame you for this mm-hmm. per se. I'm not gonna blame myself per se. It's happened from circumstance, and in some manner, we've all contributed in different ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Everyone's at fault, and everyone's to blame.
0: <laughs> well, I like to look at it as. Maybe, you know, people have a a tendency to identify fault as a negative. And I would say everyone's somewhat contributed to the situation. And it may not be intentional. I learned a long time ago when I did the community mediation stuff, and you're doing the intakes, you're doing what's called cold calls. After someone calls the agency and you do, you know, delivery of the explanation of your service and what you do, and then the person's interested to try to come together with the other person, so we have to do a contact call with the other person. And that's out of the blue. So we tend to call that a cold call. Call, And so you have to try to connect really quick, like seven to eight seconds in the, in the relationship on the telephone, so that people will continue to listen and stay on the phone. They don't think it's like you're trying to sell them carpet cleaner or, you know, something that, or a trip, a timeshare to Florida. They have to stay on the phone. So the Tendencies: the longer you can get people to stay on the phone, there's a higher probability that they'll actually start to listen to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have a manner of presenting the information that will resonate and appeal to the person. So, you know, it's not to share it in a manner that you're communicating to this person. The other person contacted us and they're blaming you f- for the issue. Mm-hmm. Right away, you would, my experience is you would get a threat from that kind of conversation and people will disconnect.
1: Right. Yeah. They're getting defensive.
0: (laughs) Right, they feel threatened. And you know, a lot of times people, when they feel threatened, they get aggressive. And they push back. Or they avoid, you know, there's other ways of how people process their moments, of what they perceive as being negative. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the avoidance doesn't remove that the situation goes away, it disappears. That yep. might be a hope. It tends to actually get worse because it's unresolved and it becomes more problematic over time. And then once it comes to a head, it becomes even harder to deal with in that moment. Yep. So let's um, move to the fourth predictor, stonewalling.
1: Yeah, so stonewalling is the response to contempt. So after, you know, repeated verbal, um, or body language kind of attacks by your partner, you start to shut down. You shut them out because that's your form of protecting yourself, right? So you completely withdraw from the relationship. It, it signals being completely overwhelmed and just trying to, you know, carve out some space for yourself so that you can have a moment to process what happened. Um, it is more likely that people with a certain attachment style will use stonewalling more often than not Um, and the antidote for this is just to let your partner know that you need some space they actually recommend when you're not fighting or in a moment of conflict to kind of come up with a game plan like okay so if we get into an argument and it reaches maybe this level of conflict this is the safe word if I say that word that means that we both go to our separate corners we don't talk to each other for like an hour you know, give each other time to cool off. Let me come and collect my thoughts and figure out what I want to say and go from, and then we'll just join back together. Because if you keep pressuring the person like, you know, oh my God, you're so stupid. You can't tell me how you're feeling. Like they're not going to feel like excited to tell you how they're feeling. They're going to withdraw. And then they're just going to be like, please leave me alone, right? Then you're going to get upset that they want to be left alone and not deal with the issue. And then there's more of an issue. And all of that could just be solved by saying, okay, safe word, go to our separate corners, leave me alone, don't talk to me, don't look at me, I'll see you in an hour.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, you talked about people getting conditioned from their interactions, their lived experiences, Mm -hmm. and that forms the basis of how they next interact with that person. If the past experiences are negative, Mm -hmm. they're going to expect the next experience with that person to be somewhat along the same lines, and it becomes more entrenched, yeah.
1: Yeah, so when the researchers actually took um, the f- physiological measurements of those newlywed couples, they realized that those who were experiencing high physiological levels of arousal actually reported breaking up in six, um, in six years or having really low marital satisfaction because like, they were constantly in a state of fight or flight. They, they were constantly in the state of like, I know my partner is going to attack me or I have to be ready to attack right so yeah they're like prior lived experiences maybe not even with that person maybe in past, past relationships they were always on edge they were always like ready to defend themselves or ready to fight and because of the way in that which that resulted in blood flow and heart rate and you know sweat they were always on edge like and so they could never relax enough or be vulnerable enough right so it's like how's your day going the couple with the high physiological arousal would be like, well, you go first, honey. I know you had a fabulous day. Like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, uh, okay, weird. And then the other couple would just be like, yeah, okay. Like, do you want to go first or should I go first? <laughs> so like they're, the high level was always looking for a fight because of the past experiences that they've had.
0: Yeah, they're always walking, as the idiom says, on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. They yeah. never know when they're going to get poked and, and they're going to experience the, you know, that whole extent of uh, the piercing negativity that they've gotten from before. And then it's like nothing happens. Something happens. It reinforces the negativity and it, it, it layers itself even more for the next time. Mm-hmm. And then I think people reach a threshold of some form where they, this is it, I can't take it anymore.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So how do we break, how can we help people to try to better understand the concept in some way without it being processed in a theoretical way so that they can make sense of it more tangibly to break the cycle?
1: i think you got to start small right like you're not going to have a moment of conflict with your partner after listening to this podcast and be like okay here we go i've identified these as the negative pattern let's sit down come up with a game plan it's gonna it's a long process right but i think it first starts with learning what these patterns are and then as you start to learn them and you like engage in everyday conversation and you have conflicts you'll be like okay that's weird i find myself going to defensiveness quite often why might that be like what are the situations that invoke this kind of response for me what is this linked to right so it is it is a lot of self-awareness self-compassion and wanting to grow and wanting to just tell yourself that it doesn't always have just because this is how you've been living and this is how you were taught to live it doesn't mean it has to be the way in which you continue to live
0: so we talked earlier about the feeling of safe To be into your vulnerabilities, going through your fears. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, we say, and you learned this too, about being curious Mm -hmm. and then ask open ended questions to want to learn. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's the first step before curiosity is the sense or the concept of openness. People Mm -hmm. have to be open to want to be curious, to want to learn, to then do something about it, an action plan. Mm -hmm. And so, I think to be open, people have to feel safe in some way to go to that space of unsafety, being vulnerable.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It, it's hard because how do you get to a safe place without being vulnerable, right? And then, yeah, yeah. but I think it's also really important to remember that all couples will engage in one of these four horsemen right? There, there will be some situations that require you to be defensive. There will be some situations that may overwhelm you and result in stonewalling or whatever it may be. But what's important is that if these are the patterns that you are constantly using to engage in conflicts with your partner, that's the issue. That's when it's like a, a problem. When you know too much of, go- of one thing is never a good thing, right? So there are situations that you can use it and it, it's not going to like predict your divorce in the next three days. But if every fight you're having is starting off with some criticism and then resulting in defensiveness or whatever have, may have you be it, like that's when you need to be like, okay, either we do the journey together alone or we seek out some external help to maybe guide us through this journey. Because if you really do value your, your relationship and the longevity and the satisfaction of it, like you're you're gonna wanna make it work, right?
0: Yeah. So connecting it with the theory is that if people, if if things happen according to these kinds of events, these predictors, Mm -hmm. the probability is that the relationship will end at some future point, Mm -hmm. depending on a number of other factors, whether there's abuse and control and violence. And so it's really, go ahead.
1: it, maybe it won't end, but they won't be happy in it, right? So it's just it'll just kind of be two ships passing each other every now and then. But I don't know if we could really call that like an ideal marriage, right? That's just
0: well, we we know that people do stay in relationships yeah. uh, for, for reasons other than just the other person. Might be for the children as yeah, well.
1: No, for sure, but it's like if, if we're looking at engaging on the four horsemen for the purpose of you know, bettering ourselves and our communication patterns, it it is to do so to become a tighter relationship, right? Like you are engaging in it because you want to work on the relationship. You want the relationship to be happy and successful.
0: Yeah, so you want to find options to invest, to contribute to make the relationship quote a better thing than what it currently is. So how do you see this information also connecting in a tangible way to the justice system, the court system that deals with divorce?
1: I think with the justice system, it's very much like the numbers game, like you come in, you're a number, and they just kind of divide your assets, what may, what have you. And I think with family mediation, it allows for more holistic approach to the person, like how they're feeling about the situation and like taking more of like who they are as a person involved in the process. But before we run out of time, I just wanted to mention this one part. Um, you had a question here about how people from different cultures might process this information. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to point out that the subjects of a lot of psychological um, psychology research studies are weird subjects and that they are Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic subjects, right? So it is important to recognize that the data is coming from a subset of subjects identified as weird and so when you are applying this, these theories to other cultures it might not the data might not translate as favorably
0: yeah that's the concern that i have anyways working with diversity and that because also research is created under controlled conditions mm-hmm. that have not necessarily been inclusive of the difference of society and the, of people mm-hmm. and the cultural and ethnic context and the customs the practices and beliefs there's can, we have to put the information in a context
1: mm-hmm.
0: i think it's not to say no it can't work it's say okay knowing that how can we then try to adapt it right for this particular group to make it more inclusive for them so that it can be more beneficial for them
1: mm-hmm. i agree yeah
0: so what is, what did having the conversation mean for you
1: i i I liked it i enjoy educating people on things they may not have realized happen in the in the back end of relationships i knew when i found out about this i was like okay wow i've definitely been guilty of criticism and defensiveness
0: (laughs) so what do you want people to take from the conversation or learn from it if uh, some kind of condensed way
1: i don't know i just want them to know that these are negative patterns that can you know, be really detrimental to a relationship and that if you're in a relationship and you love someone, it might, it might be beneficial to just be a little self-reflective and, you know, look inwards and see where are areas that we can better establish healthy patterns of communication.
0: And if people want to learn more about what we talked about or just other ways that would help contribute, what do you suggest?
1: The Gottman Institute. <laughs> they, I'm telling you, they do blog posts there, and they do it in layman's terms, right? So they take their very complicated research and they put it into terms that everyone can enjoy and understand.
0: And how do we spell the Gottman? Oh, okay, G
1: okay. O T T M A N.
0: Uh huh.
1: Yep. If you just look up Gottman, it'll be like, yeah, thank you, Laura. It'll be the first uh, search result.
0: Yeah, and Laura's put that typed it in uh, that. T- the spelling of that g o t t m a n I also and, have, uh, go okay. ahead
1: I have some links that I can pro- provide for you later that you can update everyone with if you like
0: Okay well I don't know we can we can we we're not unbound with the, the radio per se you want to yeah. is there a way to share that right now
1: Yeah I can share some of my links in the chat
0: Yeah I mean we're not going to go much farther than this but let's take advantage of the opportunity to be connected and so in the chat is are a couple of at least three links i see or four links uh
1: that's two here's a third
0: yeah
1: um let me see if i can find more. if you're looking for the empirical basis of their therapy i recommend reading this link okay that should be good yep
0: yeah, and, and, and I mean, we had people attend. I appreciate that. Anyone want to ask a question before we sort of sign off and say thank you, and especially to and also Laura? <laughs> okay. So uh, the plan is to um, uh, check the audio and the video and see what they're at and the quality of that. Perfect. And hopefully. Uh, we'll upload that and put it out there for people to access and go from there. And
1: uh, we have a question from T Yeah.
0: Okay. What's that? Can I get a more detailed definition of stonewalling?
1: For sure. So stonewalling is just complete shutdown. You're not like the person could be talking to you and you are a wall. You will not acknowledge them. You can't hear, like you won't hear them with examples. Yeah. So, you know, you get into a fight and you say to your partner, okay, so like, what are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? Like, I just want to talk about it. And they say nothing. They look past you. They don't even acknowledge what you've said. They'll just walk into a different room. You might follow them, but it, it's like you're not even there, right? So they're so overwhelmed that they've shut down. They're complete, completely withdrawn. And until they have the time and space to kind of gather the thoughts, they're not going to be a very pleasant person to interact with. Does that help? I hope that helps, Taylor.
0: So their awareness is more about themselves solely.
1: Well, yeah, they're so overwhelmed. another person, yeah. Yeah, they're so overwhelmed with their emotion, they can't even acknowledge the person, right? And so their defense mechanism is just to pretend like they're not there.
0: Yeah, I can see how that can be uh, problematic.
1: Very problematic, but it, it is a natural response to you know being told you're stupid. <laughs> or, you know, that you're worthless or you're not worthy of your partner, right? These are very difficult things to hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does take a very mindful person, a self-aware person to be able to hear information about themselves that is not necessarily always presented or, and processed in the way that might be positive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, if we don't have any more, I, you know, this is the first time doing this and I really appreciate you being with me, Kimia and Laura helping to support this.
1: I'm happy it wasn't canceled. This format makes it so easy too, because it's great that we get to see each other. And I feel like it's a bit more interactive for our participants as well.
0: Yeah. They can see the body language somewhat of our facial expressions. Anyways, (laughs) we are human beings. So I'm going to say good night and thank you and tune in next week. We'll put a post out again for the next one. Uh, Laura will be with me and uh, we'll have a, a conversation that we'll challenge. And then two weeks after, I'm not sure how the situation will be externally, whether we'll do the radio show this way or at the station. Uh, currently it's just me and it's the 16th anniversary for the, for the program. So,
1: that's exciting
0: yeah i'm trying to. you know what i i'm i'm looking through i have the original show from february 13th 2005 and it's on audio cassette
1: oh my goodness
0: so i'm trying to get that into mp3 format so i can go and uh in fact here's the proof there it is
1: oh man i haven't seen one of those in a long time
0: that's it there that's the original show from February 13th, the night the night before Valentine's Day, too, 2005. Oh and Lynn, I just want to say, Lynn's here. She's in attendance in the in the observer role. Lynn is important for me and the program because Lynn is the person who actually identified the winning name for Mediation Station that was formalized on the third show in April of 2005. So. Thank you, Lynn, for coming on board and being part. She was part of the community agency that it was part of, Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview. And uh, yeah, so thanks very much, everyone. We're going to say good night and we'll see you next time. And let's see if I can do the, uh, the closing properly here. Bye.
1: Good night, everyone. Thank you. No one
0: wants to leave.